This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the winter of 2022 and 2023, we're looking at the first 11 chapters of John. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob's one of the members of the Explore the Bible team. Bob, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here, Dwayne. And today we're taking a excursion away from John because we're looking at Luke chapter 2. Here it is, December 25th, the lesson for December 25th that we're examining. And so we're going to move away from John for Christmas Sunday and we'll be looking at Luke 2, 1 through 15. We've entitled it, You Will Find. The outline follows this, the birth, the announcement, and the song. Verses 1 through 7 of Luke 2 are about the birth. In these verses, Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem to participate in a census. While there, Mary gave birth to Jesus, placing the baby in a manger. The key point for us is the location of Jesus' birth fulfilled prophecy about the Messiah. The second point of the outline is the announcement, which deals with verses 8 through 12. In these verses, Luke told about shepherds being terrified by the presence of an angel of the Lord. The angel assured the shepherds and announced the birth of the Messiah. The angel told the shepherds that they would find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. For us, we can know that Jesus is the Savior to all who believe in him. The last section of this study, verses 13 through 15, we've entitled The Song. The angel was joined by a host of others, offering praise to God for the peace coming through the sun. When the angels left, the shepherds decided to enter the city and find the baby. For us, the key point is that peace comes through faith in Jesus. So once again, we're looking at Christmas. It is Christmas Sunday for this lesson. Um, and we find a lot of details here, Bob. How does that add to the validity of Luke's account? Details are incredible. I'm a writer uh, by nature. That's kind of what I was trained to do as well as being an editor. And so uh, details are, are, are crucial uh, when you're writing a story, when you're writing a narrative. They're what brings, they're what brings the story to life. Uh, they're what what kind of gives a, a color to what you're trying to say. And of course, Luke wasn't as necessarily concerned as much about that. His purpose was to provide an accurate description of what happened in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry so that primarily Theophilus, who was the, the, his primary audience, uh, a man named Theophilus, so that he would understand, but also that anyone else who would read it uh, at that time would, would understand who Jesus was and, and how eventually how the church came into being and why it was so effective. So he wasn't necessarily worried about adding color and spice to his story, but details are still really important because he was a historian and historians use details to tell their stories. Um, it, it, and when you're, the, 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 the key thing about details is when you, if you throw in a whole bunch of them, it's either going to kill you or it's going to help you grow <laughs> as a writer. Uh, if you throw in all these details that don't make a lot of sense and don't that they aren't substantial, that don't hold up, that are that are refuted by people who were there or who know, then it destroys your story, destroys your credibility. But if you throw in details that stand the test of time, 
and Luke's have for more than 2,000 years now, uh, it, it adds credibility. It adds validity to what you're saying. And so for, for Luke to be able to add all these details and to get really into some of the minutia of what was going on and, and explain things that only people who were there, people that he, he, he interviewed and people that were witnesses to the events, to add those kind of details only strengthens his case. It only strengthens what he was trying to say. It also shows that he was doing his homework. Um, at the time we were recording this, uh, in the last few days, we, we lost a great historian named David McCullough, mm -hmm. uh, who is one of my favorite writers. I think he's one of your favorite writers yeah. as well. And I remember David McCullough saying one time that when he wrote his books, he, he felt this need to go and be where the people had been. And so when he went, he, for instance, his first book was about the Johnstown flood in Pennsylvania. He went to Johnstown. He, he, he looked around the town. He, he studied the landscape around the town. He, uh, he wanted to see how the light fell on certain hillsides. And on certain, he wanted to get the feel of what it might have been like for those people at that time. When he wrote about the Panama Canal, uh, he wrote about guys who had to spend the night in the, in the jungles. And so he went to Panama and he spent the night in the jungles and listened to the sounds and got the feeling and, and kind of uh, trying to figure out what it was like for those guys. And so, you know, when you, when you add those kind of details, it proves that you've done your homework. It proves that you've invested in it. And Luke did the very same thing. He talked to so many people. He experienced so many things. And he, he added these details to, to show that he, he had, he, this wasn't just a fly-by-night thing for him. It was something that he was going to invest in, something he was going to, be, he was going to pour into. And those details made, came, made for a stronger gospel and it made for a, a, more strong, a stronger argument uh, for, for who Jesus was and what he did. He had to track down these people. So I, there's a part of me that thinks he found one of those shepherds and he had a conversation oh, yeah. with them to yeah. know what had happened. Yeah. yeah. You know, you get somebody like Mark who pretty much he used, he used the accounts of Peter. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more with some other things, but you know, Mark, his primary source was Peter. Luke, the way the kind of the way he adds these details, he had to track these folks down. He had to talk to people like the shepherds. He had to talk to people like Mary, maybe Elizabeth. Uh, you know, he had to talk to the disciples, some of the early church leaders. Of course, he hung out with Paul when he got into the book of Acts. He hung out with Paul and Timothy and Silas. So he he had them right there with him. But and he experienced some of those things himself. But uh, yeah, he just he, for an ancient historian, uh, he really he really did his best to create an airtight story. Uh, to prove what he was trying to say about Jesus. I mentioned the shepherds here, and I mentioned, you know, we see the angels as well. The Bible skill encourages to use a dictionary to find out more about the angels uh, and have some questions about, you know, their relationship to Jesus or to Christ and the powers and limits, those type of things. Um, let's, let's explore some, the role of angels and shepherds. Yeah, to me, this is one of the most fascinating parts of the Christmas story. Uh, you, you know, if you're like me, you've, you, you've read this story every year for decades. <laughs> and so, you know, either this or the Matthew version of it. And so you kind of get uh, maybe not tone deaf, but at least immune to some of the some of the fascination of it. But this part really does. It, it intrigues me because you're, you're talking about two completely different ends of a spectrum. Uh, on one hand, you have angels who are just glorious and powerful and mighty and fear-inducing and you know they they're just uh it's like the seven degrees of kevin bacon they hang out with god so they're they're pretty awesome themselves and so you've got that on one end 
but they're the ones that actually become the servants throughout the Christmas story. They're the messengers. Uh, they're the ones that are doing God's bidding. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have these shepherds who nobody liked in the first century. Even though King David had been a shepherd, he'd become one of the greatest kings, uh, the greatest king in Israel's history. Nobody liked shepherds uh, for some reason. They thought they were dishonest. They despised them. They, they thought they were nasty, uh, suspicious people, kind of sketchy people. But yet these people, they weren't, they weren't the lowest people on the, the social ladder for Jews, but they, were, they, could, they could see the floor from where they were standing. Mm-hmm. And so you know, for the angels to come to these guys – and give them this announcement and really make them one of the first, if not the first, uh, recipients of the gospel, the good news, the good tidings. Um, it's incredible. Uh, and, and it really kind of runs through this entire uh, strand of the Christmas story about the least being the greatest and the greatest being the least. Because, you know, simple things, uh, people, in, seemingly insignificant things and seemingly insignificant people take center stage. And they become the vessels that God uses to make a difference and to announce the son's birth. Insignificant people like Mary, who was just a teenage girl, uh, under all kinds of suspicion because she got pregnant. Uh, Joseph, who was who was a simple carpenter guy, and you know probably had whispers behind his back because his girlfriend was pregnant, and you know that 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 can be one. Simple I mean, simple places like Bethlehem and Nazareth. And these shepherds and all these things that the world from from the outside looking in would have would have ignored on normal days. Uh, they are what God uses mangers, stables, you know, things like that. Uh, the, the least were the greatest in, in the Christmas story. And so that um, that really that should encourage all of us every time we come to this Christmas story. It, it should remind us that, hey, you know, God uses the small things. God uses the little things. God uses the things that the world would throw out with the trash. Uh, but he creates this divine juxtaposition where, um, you know, he, he, he lifts up those who are humble and he, and he, he, he helps them uh, become who they need to be and do what they need to do. It's an incredible encouragement. We've mentioned the angels and the shepherds. We really, we, we, we need to think about the location where all this is happening too. Uh, in light of what you just said, uh, help us yeah. think through that too while we're th- yeah. on this subject. Yeah, of course. You know, the, the key thing about Bethlehem is that it was prophesied centuries of, before that. In Micah chapter five, verse two. If you're familiar with the Christmas story, you're probably familiar with Micah five too. It's one of those traditional Old Testament prophecy verses that we go to, along with some of the Isaiah passages. But that's that's what makes it significant as far as location is that you know this is something that had been had been told and foretold and predicted centuries before anyone could have thought this this was going to happen and it was it was pretty common knowledge i mean when the if you read the matthew account of the of the birth uh when the wise men come to jerusalem looking for the king of the jews herod freaks out and he goes to the the priests and says hey what is the deal with this and they said oh yeah he's going to be born in bethlehem so it was it was he knew exactly where to send the wise men because the guys, the, the priest knew exactly where he was supposed to go. And so it was common knowledge uh, that, that and, and, you know, even that was part of the thing about Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. A lot of times people looked at him sideways because they, they, he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't known as Jesus of Bethlehem. They yeah. didn't realize that he, that he had been born in Bethlehem. So it, it was important. But I, what I love about the Bethlehem part of this 
is that, and it goes back to what we were just talking about, about the least being the greatest and the greatest being the least, is the way that God worked behind the scenes using the most powerful people in the world to fulfill his purpose. You know, the, the, the only reason that Joseph ended up, I mean, obviously God's sovereignty and divinity, he can do this, but from a, from a human perspective, the only reason Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem that night was because Augustus, the Caesar, the emperor, decided that this was the perfect time for him to do a census of his of his of his empire, <laughs> that he, that it needed to be done now, <laughs> and so he went and did it. And, and and really, a lot of scholars say that he didn't even require he required the census, but he didn't require people to travel to their ancestral hometowns. So if in a lot of ways, even his proclamation is not what pushed them to go to Bethlehem that Herod, who was the leader of the Jews, the king of the Jews, was the one who required Jews to go to their ancestral hometowns. And so, you know, here are two of the two guys who are, you know, from a social position, from a political position, they're at the top of the game. They're at the top of the heap. But God uses them to fulfill his plans and to fulfill his purposes. Without them even knowing it. Yes, yes. These were guys who, who didn't, Caesar, Augustus Caesar certainly didn't claim to know God. Herod you know, he, he knew about the law and he knew about all that stuff, but he really wasn't, a, he wasn't a God follower. He wasn't a God fear, but yeah, God used these people, these, for lack of a better term, pagans to, to do his thing and to make it work out. The other thing I love about this is that, you know, a lot of people were skeptical about Jesus. And, and even today, people are skeptical about Jesus because when we say, well, Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. They say, well, yeah, he could have done that himself. He could have worked. He would have known the Old Testament scriptures. He would have known the Messianic prophecies. He could have worked it out so that he was in the right place at the right time to do some of the stuff. There was no way he could have. There's no way he could have rearranged, prearranged, a birth in Bethlehem. (laughs) He just um, he was he was in vitro. He couldn't do it. You don't (laughs) get to pick where you're born. No, you? you don't. You don't. And so, you know, that's one of those things where you say, we well, can point to Micah 5, too, and say, hey, this is what the Messiah said. And it wasn't just an accident that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. It was a fulfillment of scripture because Jesus was who he said he was. The angel's song uh, in the CSB, it's translated glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Um ESV says, with whom he is pleased. Good goodwill toward men, what we're familiar with in the King James. And NIV says, to whom his favor, on whom his favor rests. Um, so translations differ here. Help us understand some of the reasons for these differences. Yeah, I'm like you. I grew up with the King James version of it, uh, memorizing it. I went to a Christian school from first grade to 12th grade. So we talked about this every year. And of course we, we, it was a highlight of our year. We'd watch a Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus would get up on stage and he would quote Luke chapter two. Mm-hmm. And he quoted the King James version. of Luke yeah. chapter two. So, you know, it's, it's what we all knew. Uh, if you're of a certain age, like you and I are, that this is, this is what our generation remembers. But one of the things, that, before we get to the differences, I think it's interesting to look at some of the things that are the same in this in this angelic song or chant or whatever it was. It was probably more of a chant than an actual lyrical song that we think of today. But I like, for instance, all four of those translations you just mentioned, they all emphasize fear not or don't be afraid. 
all four of them emphasize good news or good tidings, really our first hint at the gospel. All four of them uh, emphasize the phrase all people, which is the universal nature of salvation. So, yes, there's a lot of stuff that's different. And there's kind of kind of some phrasing that's weird in some of these translations or not weird, but diverse in these translations. But there's so much there that's, that we can focus on. It's like, yeah, all, no matter how you translate this, no matter how you look at the Greek, no matter how you parse it out, it comes up with these things. And so that's kind of important to, to remember. Um, I think the, uh, one of the things about the, about this last phrase, it really is just the last phrase of verse 14 that people get hung up on. Um, it, when you look at it in the Greek, it's not, uh, it's really not that different. Uh, it's, 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 it's about God's favor. It's about God's goodwill. And, th and that's the thing is this is not goodwill necessarily among people, although that's somehow how we, we think of it. And it's certainly how the culture portrays uh, goodwill toward men. It's one to one another, but it's really God's goodwill toward people, God's favor toward people. Um, the other, uh, another, uh, the other part of it is that, that we are the recipients of it, that, that because of God's grace, he pours it out on this. So there's, there's this, there's a sense that there's a general proclamation where goodwill to all men or favor upon all men, but there's also the specific part on whom he, on whom his favor rests. That's what some of the translations say. And so while you have a general message of, hey, the Messiah has come and he's going to open the door to salvation to everyone, there's also a, a very subtle, uh, specific uh, commendation to, to, to those who actually believe, <laughs> to those who actually receive him, um, a specific promise to those people. So um, we, can, we, can, we can quibble about how certain translations say certain things, and, and a lot of people do. But whatever translation you use, the main thing you need to remember is that this is God's favor being poured out on people who could not help themselves. And he did something for us that we could not do ourselves. And the whole message of Christmas is that the Savior had come and that he, he was going to bring peace, not necessarily an absence of war, or something like that, but genuine peace, real peace, lasting peace. And the only way to experience that peace, according to what Luke says, is to experience the favor of God, which was to embrace Christ as the Messiah, which is what Luke really wanted you to do in the first place. This is going to be Christmas Sunday. Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Mm -hmm. So there's a possibility that some of our folks who are there every week are going to be gone. Uh, we may have guests who are there visiting family. Um, how can we encourage our class, even if they're not there, to still take a look at this lesson? And, and what might we do in our preparation that might be a little bit different than the normal weekend, week out Sunday school? Yeah. Or Bible study well, group? yeah, it, it really, I mean, some churches, uh, because it's on a Sunday this year, they may not even do small groups. They may not even do Bible studies. They might just have, they might just, for the sake of families, they may just have a worship service. And so if you're a, if you're a small group leader without a small group that week, what do you do to, to share this, <laughs> to share what is probably along with Easter, the most important <laughs> lessons you and I, we know that we get, 
a lot of a lot of our a lot of our letters come from people around Christmas and Easter. They <laughs> they, they pay a lot of attention to how our curriculum handles those two holidays and Christmas is one of those so how what do you do if you're a small group leader that has no small group on Sunday morning well you, I think you you gotta get creative a little bit you you want to you want to reach out to make sure you you make a contact with your uh, with your small group uh, during the week uh, it, it can be by email it can be by text it can yeah you know, if you want to get really creative uh, set up a zoom time outside of that Sunday morning um, maybe, you know, we're, we're all got, we've all gotten fairly comfortable with Zoom these days. And, and a lot of us have already been through Sunday school classes you know, through Zoom um, over the over the last several months, a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility just to just to get together for a few minutes. If you have a class Christmas party, maybe you use part of that to tell some of the story. Um, but you use the opportunities that you have. Um, if you do have a class that week. Um, you know, I, I would first of all encourage you just to continue to prepare the way you normally prepare. Uh, don't slack off just because you don't think you're going to get a whole lot of people. Because it could be a couple of things could happen. You mentioned it earlier. We may lose some regular attenders to vacation, to trips and family gatherings and what have you. But we also might get some new folks that come in, some visitors, either from family members who who are visiting other family members and they they come to church. But also Christmas is a Christmas is a lot like Easter. It's one of those, especially if it being on a Sunday, it's one of those times people just kind of feel compelled to be in church. And so you may have people who who show up for, they're not exactly sure why they're there. They just know it's Christmas and, and they feel like they need to be there. And they may come to the worship service, but they also might find their way to, the, to, a, to a Bible study or a connect group or Sunday school or whatever you happen to call it. So you may end up with more people than you imagine. So don't slack off. Continue to be a pro. Continue to be... Um, you know, uh, just somebody who just knocks it out of the park as far as preparation goes and, and, and just uh, be there for the people who are there. Um, you don't know, you don't know exactly how many people might show up, but whoever you show up, whoever does show up, God has put them there for a reason. And he's put you there to lead them for a reason. They need to hear something that he wants to say through you as a leader on that particular Sunday. So, don't slack off. Don't don't take a week off. Don't 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 just kind of slide by. Continue to prepare as if you were going to have a full house, and and then just be faithful in the way that you present present the passage, present the scriptures. I did like that idea. If your church chooses not to have Bible study groups on that day, of including it or building it into a class party that's mm-hmm. held sometime prior to Christmas Day. Well, that's a great idea. Uh, if we do have Bible study groups on that Sunday, which I'm hopeful that you do, um, then you, you like you noted, you got to be ready for guests. And that means you may need to, some extra books on the side uh, just to help you with the lesson and help them. If they're traveling, they may not have brought a Bible with them. So you want to make sure that, that's, that, that, that they have that access. Mm-hmm. Uh, one idea that, that I like particularly in the leader guide, this is in the options area. It's an, it's entitled brainstorm. And it encourages us to review the session during the summarizing challenge time by directing folks to the statements that are underneath apply the text. And that's in both the personal study guide and a daily discipleship guide. And then we, as we walk through those, those statements, those application statements, 
we invite volunteers to suggest a Christmas song that comes to mind for each one of those statements. So, you know, they may pick just a statement out of that song or the whole song. It doesn't matter at that point. And that, that would be a way for us to think about the season. It might give a, some definition to some of the songs that we sing. Um, cause if, obviously if it, since it's Christmas day, there'll be folks that'll be leaving here and going, going and participating in some type of Christmas celebration. And they may hear songs, they may not, but most places I know they, they're going to have some Christmas music playing. And so it would be a way for us to take advantage of that and use that as a marker for them to remember what we had talked about in this Bible study time. Bob, you got any other ideas or key thoughts about Luke chapter two? I just think this is one of those weeks that has a lot of potential. Uh, as I mentioned, it was, it's one of those weeks where, where people who normally wouldn't darken the door of a church might show up. And so I just I would encourage our leaders to be ready, to be prepared, uh, to, to, you know, we always talk about that the leader is the lesson, that you let God uh, work on your heart first and teach you what you need to learn. And then you can teach from the overflow of that. Uh, when you guide your your small groups. So just use this time to really reflect on the story um, and, and what God did and what God says. Uh, don't 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 get caught in the temptation of it just being a, a kind of a rut, <laughs> just a, a ritual. Yeah, you know, the questions that are asked this year are helpful when it comes to thinking about it in a new way. So I, I would encourage you to use the questions that are identified in the personal study guide and daily discipleship guide to make this happen. I want to thank you all for listening today. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. And I'll do my best to answer your question. Or if I don't know, know the answer, I'll make sure I get your email to the right person who can answer your question. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you for trusting us and allowing us to be a part of your preparation this week as you move towards Christmas. Next week, we'll be looking at session five. Mike Livingston will be joining me. We'll be looking at John chapter three, verses four through 18 as we return to our study of John. And we'll be looking at the idea that Jesus offers eternal life to all who believe in him. Mm-hmm.